Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Yes, you are indeed listening to the Raw Report here on Suplex Retweet Extra, once again hosted by Ross McLeod, joined as always by the wonderful Jack Graham. Jack, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Very well after Extreme Rules for the, the boys at the Raw Report here, you know, just, just doing what we do best. Do what we do best and we'll touch on that controversial result in a wee moment, but, you know, as you are listening to us on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. We needed someone to join our MVP and Bobby Lashley. Please welcome the Shelton Benjamin of Rodport. <laughs> See, I'm a bit like Shelton Benjamin because you remember his firstborn fondly, but this run, I'm going to do fuck all of note, mate. This is what's, this what's going to happen. 24-7 title reigns in my future, I'm telling you. Ain't no stopping Dave, no. <laughs> I love that. It's actually it's so good to be back. This is the first show uh, that I've been on uh, since uh, I announced the other day that I would be back uh, doing a monthly show on YouTube. So I'm very excited just to talk wrestling again, man. I've missed it. I really have. Yeah, your your final show, um, I want to touch on, that. obviously Saturday Draft Live was yours and Scott's baby. Jack is now taking care of that baby after you uh, abandoned him. Very, like, very well. A very good parent to Saturday Draft Live. Uh, better parent than I could ever be. <laughs> After you abandoned the child like Kelly and Ryan in the finale of The Office. Um, <laughs> season uh, three, sorry, season four was one of Scott McLeod. Mm-hmm. He went into WrestleMania weekend with what looked like an unassailable lead. And although yeah. he did eventually win by six points to second place myself, could you or Scott even have predicted how bad a WrestleMania his team had? <laughs> Genuinely, like looking back at it, uh, I had messages from Scott that night, and he's like, "I'm so afraid this is going to happen." I'm like, "Scott, don't don't worry," because I was so sure. But then as as it kept going on, as the weekend progressed, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like he could actually Ross could actually pull the upset here. So I was I was ha- I was happy for Scott when he won because I knew how much he wanted it. But at the same time, I was like, "What a story it would have been had you caught him at the last minute." For the listeners, uh, Scott had R-Truth in his team, who lost the 24-7 title that weekend. He had Shayna Baszler, who I think we all on the show... Yeah, that was the biggest thought, shock. Yeah, Shayna was winning. I had Becky Lynch, so we thought, oh, well, that was a big point swing. I had the Street Profits, they won the tag titles. Scott had so they didn't win the SmackDown tag titles. Mm-hmm. And it, it ended up, Stephen, due to COVID... Um, with no NXT takeover taking place, the matches that were announced for takeover that took place on NXT previously, we had to go to tiebreaker because yeah, had any, I believe it was no, it was Tegan. Not, sorry, Dakota Kai. I had she was in the ladder match. Had anyone else won, Scott would have won the draft, and unfortunately, Io Shirai just to ruin the story. Yep, Io Shirai uh, pulled out the bag the last minute. Last minute, but as we talk about pulling it in the bag last minute, um, Jack, obviously we are in our best of five with the 
the monthly show on a weekly television show. Oh, Mate, we're going to have to again. call them a, a show on a quarterly basis, you know what I mean? We're getting to like a financial year, like April to June, you're going to get one show and so on. That's the kind of rate we're going now. <laughs> it's a monthly show about a weekly show. It is absolutely atrocious how someone like myself with the worst timekeeping in the world can do a weekly show and yet those two who have weekends off can't. But we did our predictions. I predicted Rey Mysterio to win the eye for an eye. He predicted Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins came out on top. I needed... The only thing we differed on was the stipulation for the Dolph Ziggler-Drew McIntyre WWE title match. Now, we took this to Stephen Wilson, see how he would judge it, because the way the draft is judged is also sometimes the way the predictions are scored, I should say. Dolph Ziggler opted for an Extreme Rules match for Dolph Ziggler only. The bonus points are worth two. We discussed it. We said if anyone said Extreme Rules, they would get one point because they were half right, which therefore tied me and Ryan. And as we know, David, you've been a victim of this many a time. The The bonus points is what swings it. And in a tie, the bonus point swung it in my favour. Yeah, it's completely fair judging uh, from me. Like, I've came back to the group chat and already within a week, I'm hearing people calling conspiracy in the draft, conspiracy in the sweeps. And I'm just like, I'm the guy who's running a show that's going to be called the conspiracy theory. And I've never seen this much speculation going on in all my time. You know what I mean? So (laughs) it's the same way it's always been done. I'm not taking sides in this, despite being the guest on your lovely show today. But it sounds, Ross, like you did win it fair and square. We had... We even it even became canon the extreme rules thing because so many people tied on what was a sort of predictable slash poorly booked extreme rules. Nine people tied for first. Yeah. yeah. Only three people chose extreme rules match, which was myself, Sarah, and Grant. Mm-hmm. Grant won because he predicted the main event and semi main event correctly. He predicted Bray and Drew McIntyre to win. Mm-hmm. So you know, you get Ryan running about saying, no, no, you're wrong, I won, I won. How can I finish third in the overall sweeps? <laughs> or joint second, I should say, was Sarah. Joint second was Sarah in the overall sweeps. And yet be beaten by Ryan Gallagher, who came in joint third. <laughs> Sasha Banks of ESSR. Yes, yes, you're so precious. Ryan Wilson, Ryan Gallagher talking piss show. <laughs> Very good, very good. <laughs> no, I'm better about it around, but it's true, aren't the raw report? <laughs> well, you've ran the sweeps for years, right? You always, like I said, Stephen runs the draft, it's always consistent. You run the sweeps, it's always consistent. If you, It's going to bite you in the arse sometimes and it's going to work in your favour others, you know what I mean? Yes, yes, very much so. Um, so, let's dive into Raw, shall we? We've rambled on about <laughs> everything but Raw. Um, after an aptly named horror show Extreme Rules I thought this was a really good one Jack what are your thoughts on it? Yeah this this is infinitely better than what Extreme Rules came out to be like everything everything that was booked everything that was made just kind of made sense following the repercussions of Extreme Rules just that Raw recently has just been an enjoyable watch it's been like an easy flow it doesn't seem to be crammed with random stuff there's a better story to everything that's happening 
Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. One thing that is a bit of a, a disappointment at the minute is the booking of the Iconics. Um, they returned. They were in a feud with Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss, the then tag team champions. WWE rightly have chose to go with Bailey and Sasha as tag team champions. They've been sensational so far, but unfortunately, David, it's came at the it's it came to the detriment of uh, the Iconics. Yeah, and. The thing is, right, this is coming from a guy who wrote an article for the website saying the Iconics, during their women's tag team title run, were not being used to their full potential. I'd actually argue the way they're being used now is better than that because at least they're on TV and at least they have a semblance of a story here. You know what I mean? Uh, and the thing with the Iconics is they, they're not a team that always has to win. All they have to be is entertaining. You know, they have to be able to get heat. They have to be able to get a reaction from the crowd, which they can do in their sleep. The problem this week for me was they didn't do that. And I think as much as I love Peyton Royce as an in-ring competitor, Billy Kay is the character of that team. She's the one who's able to sort of thread all of these things together to make them get them nuclear heat. And the fact that she was absent this week is basically what I think was the first bad turning point in this story. So I hope Billy Kay is back next week and it's not a COVID-related issue. Yeah, um, COVID-related issue, Jack, is what we spoke about. The reason this isn't Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot against the Iconics, uh, Bianca Belair's sort of been shoehorned in there due to uh, a COVID scare that's taken Liv, Mandy and Sonya Deville all off TV at the moment. Um, Billy Kay, absent for unknown reasons at the moment. But as David says, as it's a duo. They don't need to win very much, but when Peyton was herself, he certainly saw a, a lack of charisma. Not lack of charisma, but it didn't have the same effect. No, they most definitely do need to win, Ross, because I've boldly made them my captains in my draft team. <laughs> and it's not happening for me right now whatsoever. I thought, oh, they're, they're a cert to win the women's tag titles. They're going to break up Sasha and Bailey, but no, they're going to keep that going for the rest of the year, probably. So I need them back. But you're, you're right in saying, like, saying what they were saying as well, that Billy Kay is the, is the charisma of the team. Peyton does well kind of bouncing off her when she kind of starts the pattern going. And it was, it's just, it's sorely missed. And it's, it's a shame as well. Obviously, it's, it's, I say it's a shame. It's good to see Bianca Belair back in the mix. But like, it's a shame that it's not Liv Morgan, as arguably the story would have been better with her in it because it just kind of makes more logical sense. But take what you're giving and all that in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Ruby Riot defeats uh, Peyton Royce, gets Peyton back in the win column and singles. Uh, sorry, uh, Ruby. Sorry, Jesus. See, that's how <laughs> that's how bland. See, the good stuff in the women's division is good. The bad stuff is bad, and they all just merge together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so Ruby Riot defeats Peyton Royce. Nothing really much more to talk about here. We hope Billy Kay is okay and mm. is back next week. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. I do have to say, the right kick is a finisher. Doesn't doesn't do it for me. I think right Ruby right needs a new finish as well. I just don't think the the right kick. If you look at Alistair Black's kicks, we'll talk about later on night. They feel like they have a really good impact. She, see when she hits that right kick, it doesn't feel like it should end a match. It's pretty uh, anticlimactic to me. Yeah, it looks um, very much like a, a move that would break up someone's momentum. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's just not a finish. 
Your moves are weak, babe. Your moves are weak. <laughs> you touched on uh, Alistair Black there, David, so we'll move on to the opening segment at Raw here. Uh, Jack, our favourite wrestler on the Raw Report after, since before WrestleMania, he's made this show enjoyable just about every week. Seth Rollins coming off the eye for an eye match with Rey Mysterio. The match ended when Rey Mysterio's eye was removed from its socket. Seth Rollins, great promo, and I've always said a heel is at his best when his promo has has truth behind it. And the truth was, the fans were what turned Seth Rollins heel by booing him when he was a face. And Rey Mysterio was the one that picked the stipulation, not Seth Rollins. I mean, I was I recall last week that I was pure down in the dumps. I thought this is it. Seth Rollins' eye is going to be ripped off, and I'm not going to see the Messiah again. But he truly has risen, and he's he's won this match like kind of out of nowhere. Really, everyone kind of expected Rey Mysterio to win, and then here we go. He's he's back. He's going to be here for at least another month or something. But I mean, I that that whole thing was weird. The, the match, Extreme Rules. I just I didn't I didn't get it. I thought it'd be great, and it wasn't. But the the way he's saying is like the kind of the fans have turned him for booing him in the first place. Like he, he's everything he says is right. He's a masterpiece. He is literally a god. Well, you can't beat him. Yeah. Um, so we've not really heard your thoughts on the Monday Night Messiah, David, since mm-hmm. you've been away. How yeah. have you how have you found ever since he lost to Drew McIntyre, he's gotten that edge to him. It's not no longer just you know cosplay Jesus it's there's a sinister tinge to him the thing we wanted Bray Wyatt to have all the years yeah it's the, it's the fury isn't it because uh, I remember I think it was the night the, the Becky announced her pregnancy uh, so it would have been after Money in the Bank and that was when the attack in Raven Studio came and it came out of nowhere and Seth looked surprised by it and it's played a factor in his promos like this sort of he's trying to justify his actions but we saw it when he when he pulled the eye out, right? And he, he vomits in ex- extreme rules. Like, there's this dichotomy to Rollins that's similar to Randy Orton, but different in a way, in the sense that he maybe isn't in complete control of what he's doing. He's letting his anger get the best of him. And it's his promos that he delivers where he's not only trying to justify it to the fans, but also to himself. I think it's that genius character. I think the attire is brilliant as well. I love that coat with this, this sort of fur... Uh, lapel that sticks out. I just think that looks really, really cool. He looks rougher than Seth Rollins ever has. Um, the only thing I will say is he's delivering that promo. Murphy's meant to be his disciple. Murphy's attire definitely needs to change from the purple Power Rangers shite he's wearing the now, man. I tell you, it needs to ma- it needs to match Rollins, and I say that like not just to throw shade at his attire, but if you're going to be a disciple to someone, present them as a disciple by making them dress the same or at least in the same colour scheme or something like that? Very, um, Ooze and his cronies. Um. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he is. He's like a, an Ivan Ooze extra, mate. Like one of the adults who got mind-controlled in that movie. Go check out Power Rangers, the, the film, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> um, you, you talked, obviously, about how he doesn't seem in control, how his character's different from Orton. It's almost, um, obviously, you're a big film guy, first-time films. Mm. Um, it's almost as if Randy Orton feels righteous in what he's doing he's doing it for reasons he feels will better the company and the lives of the people he's taking out sort of a Thanos-esque whereas 
Rollins is sort of a, a Mr. Hyde and sorry, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Where sure. Yeah. He, he transforms, he can control it. And when he turns back, he's very he's very disgusted at what he's done, but he needs to justify it. Yeah, and I, I love I love those type of villains and it's something we've been missing on Raw for a while because there was a period of time where the cool heel was all that was in and we weren't getting anything really apart from that, anything with shades of grey. And what we're seeing from Rollins, especially with this Monday Night Messiah gimmick, is something fresh because it's not a heel that you want to root for and that's the most important thing. But it's also a heel who's entertaining and I think sometimes wrestlers forget that you can be both of those things. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Jack, something that's not as entertaining, it's maybe got a bit stale since you and I have started uh, doing these raw reports. Alistair Black, um, we talked about how Humberto Carrillo was the bland one. At the minute, Alistair Black's being cast as the Rey Mysterio lackey. Tom Phillips even said on commentary, we know how much Rey Mysterio means to Alistair Black. That's not the sort of person we saw in NXT or even on SmackDown or his feud with Buddy Murphy pre-Disciple, it's he's just another guy now. Aye, that's that's not the Alistair Black. I know there mm-hmm. needs to be some sort of sinister level about him. Like there's him just appearing to defend the honour of someone. It's just it doesn't fit the narrative that is Alistair Black. And I, I don't know if they're maybe trying to make it more appealing that someone like him would step up for a legend like Mysterio so to speak but I don't I don't like what he's been shoehorned into and his booking on the main roster has just been absolutely appalling and I hate to see it Yeah, ever since um, ever since his Murphy feud you know, he was the, the extra in the AJ Styles Undertaker feud he was a, a shoehorned match against Lashley at WrestleMania he was just another guy at the Money in the Bank ladder match and now he has become just you know, it would. I think it would have been a lot more entertaining to see him maybe as a disciple for uh, Seth Rollins, as opposed to you know Rey Mysterio's lackey. That would be something quite interesting. Cause you'd like, and then you could have the eventual point of him like turning or something like that, and then they could set up a feud that way. But like having him put in this role of just being a guy who looks up to Rey Mysterio, and that's what he's kind of being known as now. It's it doesn't sit right with me. Mm. I can I completely agree with that though because it's like Alistair Black. What what do we know about him? He was meant to be somewhere between good and evil. You know, Alistair Black was not meant to be what you're saying. He's not the bland baby face. He's not the Umberto Carrillo type. And I think this is something like the story you've just pitched there, Ross, is better for Black. Like a man who's run off of logic, not off of what he feels is morally right or wrong. If he sees, right, oh, at first, Seth Rollins, yes, I think he has a point, and then he sees it go too far down the line and sees maybe he's not doing this for the greater good, as he says. He's doing this for his own selfish means. That's when the turn comes. That's a more interesting character to to me as well. I think that's a perfect idea. Mm-hmm. Um, well... Obviously, the match itself was a great match. You're always going to get a great match with Seth Rollins and Alistair Black together. Um, Murphy tries his shenanigans to get involved. Uh, he eats a black mask for his trouble. Alistair Black did look threatening in this match. He did look as if he had Rollins a few times, but eventually the Monday Night Messiah uh, retains. Uh, sorry, retains, sorry, picks up the win. <laughs> um, 
Sorry, I'm just imagining a world where Seth Rollins is still champion. It's, it's a wonderful world. Great time, great time. <laughs> Seth Rollins picks up the win. Um, Jack, you and I have pitched before about how people who aren't doing anything could make great disciples. People who are maybe fed up with their booking. And we didn't quite get that with Seth Rollins, but we did get that with MVP and Bobby Lashley. They have a new man in their corner, as we referenced at the start of the show, Shelton Benjamin, joining uh, the Hurt Business, I believe they're called. Yeah, the Hurt Business. What, what a name that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just um, very unimaginative, yet when MVP says it, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. He's, uh, <laughs> he's backstage with R-Truth, he says, I'd like it if you, if the 24-7 champion would join us at ringside. Archer says, nah, hell no, I don't trust you. And they say, who says we were talking about you? We mean the new 24-7 champion. Shelton Benjamin flies out of nowhere. Uh, picking up, uh, thanks to WWE Stats and Info on Twitter, his first one-on-one pinfall since he beat Super Crazy in 2006. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> What? Yes. Uh, that is absolutely crazy. Hold on, WWE stats, and we'll just get this up on Twitter here. That's that, sad. That has to be on Raw, right? It has to be on just on Monday Night Raw, because if that's the case for his entire WWE career, that is obscene. That is obscene. Right, this is the full tweet, WWE Stats and Info tweeted out. Right. New at WWE 24-7 champion Shelton Benjamin scores a singles victory on WWE Raw by pinning former champ Ron Killens. It's Benjamin's first one-on-one win on Raw since defeating right. Super Crazy in 2006. This was before iPhones were introduced, the Big Bang premiered, and Twitter started using hashtags. Right, that makes sense. That, that makes more sense that it's on Raw, because he had that run in... ECW is the gold standard and all that I remember round about 2009 but it's still mental that that is the first win that uh, Shelty B has been given on the red brand uh, (laughs) since 2006 that's when I first started watching wrestling man that's crazy there you go it's the 100th recognised reign for the 24-7 title it took 47 years and 2 months for there to be 100 reigns with the WWE title it took 24 years and 10 months for there to be 100 reigns of the Intercontinental title. It took one year and two months for the 24-7 championship to have 100 <laughs> reigns. Jesus. Um, also, Shelton Benjamin is now the only superstar in WWE history to win the ICUS Raw Tag Team titles and 24-7 titles. Oh. There you are. What a what a career, a Hall of Fame resume for Shelton Benjamin. I don't know. That's the new Grand Slam. That's the new Grand Slam. I say that he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame like twenty forty when they run out of folk. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) he's had some good moments. I just don't think he's a a Hall of Famer. So, uh, Jack, you and I have discussed before the twenty four seven title. How they should use it? How you know the Riddick Moss Open Challenge was a bit shit. Um, so much so that we've not seen Riddick Moss since before WrestleMania. Um, that's how bad Riddick Moss was. They didn't want him on the company's premiere thing, so to take a loss to someone, so they had Arthur beat him in a YouTube video a week before WrestleMania. 
What a slap in the face. <laughs> um, so, we've talked about how they should use it. I quite like um, Shelton Benjamin being taken in by the Hurt Business, being taken in as 24-7 champ, and now he has two people who watch his back at all times. I really did not understand why more people in stables didn't go for 24-7 titles. It just mm. it baffles me at times. But lo and behold, uh, MVP claims he is still United States champion. He claims he beat Apollo Crews by forfeit and should be United States champion. Uh, they take on Ricochet, Cedric Alexander, and the returning Mustafa Ali. Um, have you guys heard the story of why Mustafa Ali has moved to Raw? If, is it because he fell out with Bruce Pritchard? Or, yes. Yeah, he felt Bruce Pritchard wasn't giving him a, a fair shot. So he was like, I'll do better under Paul Heyman. Went to Raw. <laughs> Paul Heyman gets sacked. Who's he replaced by Bruce Pritchard? <laughs> oh, that is, like, it happens so often in football where players leave a club to get away from a manager. They do so well under a different manager. That manager leaves and the manager they hated before comes in and it just <laughs> happens all over again. Uh, oh. But Mustafa Ali, to my surprise, did pick up the win for his team. Uh, MVP's hurt locker or hurt business or hurting and squirting, uh, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's a, a, a better name. Better name. <laughs> Losing their first match as a team. Um, surprised no one went after Shelton Benjamin after the match. I forgot straight bit Ross, you know that by now. Yeah, and not enough people care about the 24-7 title. Like we've seen it with like Randy Orton a couple of weeks ago as well. Like this is this is to me is the issue with the 24-7 title. I think it should be used as like it should be in a Game of Thrones like esque convoluted storyline. You know what I mean? Just like something utterly ridiculous. Um however it, they appear to be using it in a similar vein to like a light heavyweight title back in that attitude era now, which is fine because, like you say, it adds another title to the the heart business's resume. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't shock me nowadays when the t- upper tier guys don't try and go for it. Yeah, it's like I really wanted Shayna Baszler last week when she returned just to ragdoll our truth mm-hmm. and just say, "Well, if you're not give me my women's title." I'm going to ragdoll anyone that comes near me for this. I think <laughs> really entertaining with that. But uh, congrats, Shelton Benjamin. The Hurt Business is the official name uh, for this this stable. Uh, I've just checked it there on Twitter. Hurt Business is trending. Um, I think they'd be an interesting pair, MVP and uh, Lashley, to maybe end the Street Profits ring. I think they could work really well as tag team champions uh, because Jack, you and I before have discussed the horrendous anything you can do series uh, with the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits. Oh, don't, I don't, I don't want to, I really don't want to hear it again. It, it actually like runs up my spine that they actually did that for like two months and now like Viking Raiders, obviously they've, they appear later on but like they've literally just gone into obscurity and a, a a tag team of their kind of fitting in their name just should be in obscurity. Yeah. Um, Street Profits haven't had 
the reign I think we would like them to have, uh, David. They haven't really been featured on pay-per-view since WrestleMania. And just with how over they were, obviously the crowds aren't there at the minute, but with how over they are, they know that people are going to be cheering when they're watching them on TV. Yeah. It just baffles what they've been doing with them. It's it's hard as well because... Go back to the. I don't. I know you don't want to talk about it, Jack. But the anything you can do series, right? Think of it. Go back to like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. MVP himself did a very similar thing with Matt Hardy, and it was one of the most memorable things about that feud they had. We set up like the fact that I can still remember it to this day is a testament to that. The difference is that it has to be for performance that suit that. And the performers themselves have to commit to making it memorable. Now, I'm not saying the street pop profits didn't, but also at the same time, when you're given an opportunity, try and pitch it to make it work to the best of your ability. And I don't feel that the street profits have always done that throughout their reign. Like to me, their matches are very samey a lot of the time. It's the same beats as the Angelo Dawkins hot tag, it's the Montez Ford uh, splash to the finish. And I, f- I like the Street Profits. I really like their gimmick, but I do feel that they need to be shaken out of their comfort zone and realise this is not the top of the mountain. Right now, there's a lot more you can do than just holding the Raw Tag Team titles. You need to make your reign memorable. Otherwise, it's gone and you're away down to the bottom of the card. Something I will say about it, though, is the MVP situation where he did the anything you could do. It was because they had invested a bit of time into... Matt Hardy and MVP and then MVP got injured so it kind of went on a bit longer than it needed to Mm -hmm. so it it was memorable it was entertaining because of the performers that did it but the reason their you know programme lasted a year was because MVP was injured for a time of it they won the tag team titles when he was well again and then Matt Hardy got injured in the tag title match uh, when they lost the titles to Miz and Morrison so you know it wasn't as if the Street Profits, the Viking Raiders were injured. It wasn't as if... and it, Something that really did annoy me, um, Jack, you and I have spoken about this, they made such a big deal about how Asuka had never beaten Charlotte and how um, the Viking Raiders had never been beaten by the Street Profits. Now, fair enough, Charlotte was injured. We had to get her off TV as quick as possible. That's fair enough. But why not build to a match with the Viking Raiders and Street Profits on pay-per-view, where the Street Profits finally do it, and that takes them, as David said, out of their comfort zone, and then gives them that legitimacy. They've beaten the Viking Raiders. They've beaten the team that they never could beat in NXT or on Raw. You know, push them to the moon if you're going to, because they are merch sellers. Not as big merch sellers as the New Day, but they could get to that level, because they are charismatic. They have a lot of gear to shift. And it, it does baffle me. You want to know why? Why? Because we needed ninjas for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and now they've gone into obscurity. Like it's clearly that's the thing. And we had to get we had to get Big Show back in TV and we had to get some ninjas for Kira Tazawa to have some big seven foot monster appear. And now it means nothing after a few weeks. It is, it's totally shambolic. It, something that could have been so much better is just being thrown away. As you rightfully say, it's as as very sad to see. Um, something that has been going on since you were before you left the podcast for a wee bit, David. Um, mm-hmm. Angel Garza and Andrade is a tag team. 
working very well as a tag team. Unfortunately, Andrade took unwell. He was replaced by Austin Theory, who's no longer with us. God rest his soul. Uh, yeah. He's back in developmental hell. <laughs> and <laughs> they've just kind of came full circle. They're trying the Andrade-Angel Garza feud again. Usually when you see a tag team match with the words non-title, like basically emblazoned on the screen, you usually think right, challengers are going to win and it's going to set up a title match. No such thing here. This just seems to further the Zelina uh, drama that goes on between Andrade and Angel Garza. I've always said to people when you're writing a script, make sure that you have every stage of your story planned out before you start writing it. This seems like they have not done this with the Andrade Angel Garza story. It seems like they've went, oh, let's do a, a thing, tag team and dissension feud with Andrade and Angel Garza. And then they keep writing and they keep writing and they keep going. And then they're like, oh, should we end it here? Should we have them win the titles? No, no, let's not do that. Oh, all right, okay, should we have them break up? No, no, let's not do that either. All right, uh, so what do we do? And like, I don't know. We'll just keep it going for now. Right, we'll figure it out along the way. And that, that to me seems what's happening with this Andrade and uh, Garza thing. There's no end in sight to it. I don't have a thread of the story. I don't see where it's going. I don't know where Zelina's allegiance between the two of them lies. And to me, it's a bit of a clusterfuck. And they need to take it in a clearer direction from this point forth because they, they keep doing the way the same thing they've been doing for the, the, the last couple of weeks on end then I'm just going to get a bit fed up with it and I'm going to lose interest in Andrade, Zelina and Angel Garza who are three very very capable performers on Raw uh, Jack we talked about how Andrade, Angel and Austin Theory God rest his soul um, used to they were basically just used as cannon fodder at the start of uh, Drew McIntyre's WWE title run. Stable, it could have been something there. It's obviously not happened. And you and I discussed before about them doing a winner gets Zelina's managerial services. It looked sort of as if they were going to leave Zelina just the way they said, we are on the same page. And then they just kind of stared her down and walked away as she smiled as David said, there's not a clear story here. There's they're just going and going, hoping they'll find the story along the way. And it's as it, it shows the state of the tag team division on Monday Night Raw. It's uh as a word I've said a lot this show after after saying before I actually quite enjoyed watching it. It's it's shambolic. Like I, mm. I'm it's it's just dead confusing, like they won last week and they're a cohesive unit and it all worked out and they're going to get their shot at the street profits. Then this week they face them in non-tail action, lose rather decisively and appear to dissension split between them and Zelina. It is, as David said, a, a, a clusterfuck. I don't, I just, I don't understand it. And the, the tag team division itself, there's literally Viking Raiders have gone into obscurity these two will go and do their own thing after this. What what is next? Like there's there's literally nothing. Ricochet and Cedric Alexander are in the, in amongst the MVP Bobby Lashley thing right now with Apollo Cruz, so you can't get them into it. It's oh, it's as it confusing. No. I I know you like fantasy booking on this show. Let me put this one to you. Couple oh. of weeks time, do it at SummerSlam, right? Have them boil over. Don't do it for Zelina's managerial uh, role only. 
but do it a loser leaves raw match, which we haven't seen in some time um, between Andrade and Angel Garza. Have Andrade win means you can rebuild Andrade and Zelina as the unit we know they are very, very capable of being. Have him go for like a proper singles title run. Send Angel Garza to SmackDown and have him do a storyline where he's trying to romance Tamina. Because I think that's a parent that could work very well, and do it a sort of, and do a repeat almost, but with a new twenty twenty skin on it of Eddie in China from back in the day of the Attitude Era. I think that's something that could work. Mwah, chef's kiss, you know. They did. They, they did try something similar with us, and it was working quite well up until they got sacked. Uh, Enzo Amore and Nia Jax. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's how, that's how I see it. Like, have Tamina as the enforcer because it'll play to her strengths. Like, because Tamina, we've seen, like, I know you don't talk about SmackDown, right? Like, God forbid, they fuck the range and all that jazz, you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> Tamina's actually very funny when she's given the chance. Like, she's actually a very capable performer when she's given more than just, oh, it's Tamina, like, be scared, you know? So I would I would love to see that. And I think it would, it would give both of them something to do and it would give a clear end to this story as well. I mean, David says we don't review Raw there, Jack. We may as fucking well, because no one else does. <laughs> we, we we do review Raw. It's, it's Smackdown, you mean? That's Smackdown. Good Lord, I'm right. <laughs> It's the excitement. Some, some people excitement. might say you don't review Raw. I don't know. I don't no, know. <laughs> it's the excitement of both winning that sweep against Ryan so, so convincingly, with almost as if I won it on the last day on goal difference. And then the return of David Gamble on this pod, and as always, to talk to my good friend Jack Graham. I mean, it's just the excitement's bubbling over, and I'm tripping over my words. <laughs> well, I'm happy to see you too, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> so, we talked, you mentioned there, Jack, um, so often we think, oh, I enjoyed that role, then we dissect it, and we go, actually, I was a bit shambolic. Something that was shambolic booking, but for the good of a story was the Raw Women's title picture. Uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks, entertaining as always. Uh, Bailey comes out with her SmackDown and tag team title. Sasha Banks comes out with her tag title and the Raw Women's title. The graphic at the bottom of the screen does not recognise her as champion. The ring announcer does not recognise her as champion. However, Sasha, in a brilliantly deluded promo, goes to the ring and declares herself Banksy two belts. Oh, sorry, two belt banks. The, I was I was really hoping that that like extreme rules would be the kind of the start of the beginning to the the fallout of Sasha and, and Bailey, but also they they're wanting to go a different direction and prolong it even just for a couple of weeks. And I think having that no contest kind of Bailey putting on the referee is a perfect way of extending this just that wee bit more. And it's ah, uh, as I said, I wanted it, I wanted the dissension to begin, but I'm I'm not mad that they're allowing it to carry on for a few more weeks with this kind of angle of her deluded self thinking she is the Raw Women's Champion. Yeah, um, it was a great promo. Bailey is always playing the annoying heel. She's kind of fell into that role so comfortably. Um, and I really liked Asuka's response. Asuka, obviously English is not her first language. She comes out to the ring with Kyrie saying, simple and direct. David, she says, 
nobody was ready for Asuka and Asuka wasn't ready for a thief. And it's just the facials oh. on Sasha Banks, just the, well, how yeah. dare you? Oh, it's so good, man. As, like, Asuka is the MVP of the lockdown era. And it's been said before, but it needs saying again. Like, I'm so happy, so happy they put the title, title on her. Um, when Becky left, because they could have done it, they could have gave it to Shayna, and that would have been one thing that would been good for Shayna. They could have gave it to Naya, which would have been the end of me as a wrestling fan. I think I think I just would have chucked in the towel at that point. But Asuka has been <laughs> so so captivating. She's so great, and like you say, like she, we don't need to understand what she's saying, like because that woman, I don't know what it is. Like she should run the UN meetings because her body language is just so universal. Like, I completely get where she's coming from. Like, she'll just speak all this Japanese, and I'll ha- I don't know Japanese at all. And at the end of it, I'll go, aye, that's a good point. Aye, aye she's, she's talking sound to you. But like, <laughs> but like you say, like, ba- it's Bailey and Sasha's reaction to things that just absolutely makes it. And I think the thing about Sasha is, though, like, she's she's going to clearly be the one to turn babyface in this, right? Because she plays it in a way that she's still really entertaining. And there's, there's something that you don't particularly trust about her, but you like it as well, you know? And that's just another example of it again. Like, she's getting, like, thief, and it's like, how dare you? And it's the over-the-top nature of it. And I, I can't I can't see any of these women doing wrong in my eyes. Asuka, Bailey, Sasha, or even uh, our sweet Kyrie as well. Happy to see her. Well, we, we talked about Kyrie before. Um, Jack, you and I have often said she should have went to SmackDown to maybe end the title reign of Bailey. She would have been a great choice, I thought. But for a while, she was just sort of Asuka's pal and Asuka's pal that gets beaten up by the people that are fighting Asuka and then Asuka beats that person for... She's essentially Kyrie's... Uh, Kyrie is Asuka's wee sister. Uh, and <laughs> telling big sister Asuka who the bullies are. Um, it was good to see her back and a shock win over Bailey. Yeah. It's, it, I was very surprised at that. I, you just kind of thought it was going to be another loss and it'll add fuel to the fire of Asuka and Sasha next week and kind of some, some sort of outside interference. But after Bailey winning, I don't I don't feel like that. I, I don't know how to feel for next week. Obviously, the the, the, the match for next week is like, if, you, if you're if you losing in any way, shape or form, you're not going to win the title. So like you can be counted out and you can win the title or whatever. But uh, I just... I honestly... I'm I'm baffled with Bailey losing and actually like eating up eating a loss as well. Like how strongly it's all been booked for her. I, I don't know. It feels weird. It doesn't sit right. I think it's to make I, I, I think the booking can be justified though, because you want to make Bailey seem a bit weak, I think. So she relies more heavily on Sasha going forward. And maybe next week. We know that Sasha loses if Bailey interferes. What if she does that intentionally because she doesn't want Sasha's focus on the Raw title? What if she wants Sasha purely to help her with the SmackDown title? You know, so it could be played into that story that Bailey doesn't know if she can do it without Sasha fully committed to her. You know, so that could be one way they're going with it. Yeah, very good point. Uh, obviously, you are touching on. Um, Stephanie McMahon coming on the screen. I did like how she said, you know, Sasha, you didn't win, but then again, Asuka, neither did you. Um, Asuka's still recognised as the champion, however, the match graphic for next week, which said, you know, as you guys touched on, you must win 
the match on your own, you know, any outside interference, DQ, count out, submissions or anything, you will lose. Asuka does not have the title in that graphic. Um which makes me wonder, are they going to vacate the title due to, you know, this no contest and all the shenanigans and then Asuka wins it next week? Because Sasha did touch on the fact that although she won money in the bank, she didn't win the title. She was given the title in exchange for her money in the bank when Becky vacated it. So mm. I don't know if it's going to be something that maybe legitimises Asuka or if it's just going to be a case of, no, she beats her, that's it. I can't see that because even if it, even if you judge that as a no contest, right? Champions mm-hmm. Advantage states that the champion would keep the, the championship in a, a no yeah. contest situation, you know. So it'll be it, we'll need to see at the end of the match next week if the graphic shows up, Asuka as new champion or still your champion. Like depends how it's announced, you know. Like I don't have all the answers here, Ross, to that one. I don't, I'm afraid. <laughs> you don't have them, but Jack, mate, Jack, do you have any answers? Of course, I don't. <laughs> of course, that's I'm walking with it all, Ross. I was, I was I'm, I'm actually so annoyed at myself. I was saying I really enjoyed this role. You know, everything flowed perfectly. But when we talk about it, I know shit. I know nothing. <laughs> no, but do you know what the thing is? And I wanted to say that when you brought it up, Jack. Right? See, even though you can nitpick these stories, right, and say, "Oh, this was bad. This was bad." At least everyone has a story. Like that's one good thing. Like, like you said, there's no like empty segment or nothing match on Raw. Like everyone has something going on, whether it's brilliant or not. That's an hour debate, but at least you know it's no Riddick Moss. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> true. Everything's better than a Riddick Moss segment. Um, something as well that happened during the Kyrie Bailey match. We saw Shayna Baszler looking at the monitor. She was interviewed. Uh, by Sarah Shriver, she says to her, I've beaten everyone on this roster, and yet I don't have a match. I'm, do you want me to stand in catering? Look, what do you want me to do? And there's been a lot of focus online about maybe she's the person to beat Asuka at SummerSlam. I would argue it'd be much more entertaining if if we went down the direction that David suggested of Bailey costing banks. What banks caused Bailey the SmackDown title to Shane at SummerSlam? Mm. Mm. Very nice. The only thing I, the only thing is right. If Shayna beats Asuka, I could see it having a back and forth for the title, right? And this mm-hmm. plays into something that I've been. But he needs to stop booking people as unstoppable monsters because it it is the very thing that ruins them when they come at the main roster. People complain, oh, they can't take a loss, like they can't eat a loss, like their mystique is gone, right? But now that Shayna and Asuka have sort of been brought down to be built back up, I wouldn't see a problem with them having a sort of hot potato one month uh, to one month uh, reigns with the title because it's been a while since we've seen that, and there was no problem when that happened to the Attitude Era. There'd be no problem, I think, if it was a really compelling feud between the two of them doing it now that led to a like right final match between the two of them. But you're also right, Ross, like the Bailey Sasha eventual feud doesn't need the belt. And to put Shayna on the SmackDown brand where the women's division is already below Sasha and Bailey, really few and far between, it would be entertaining for her to see her like destroy these people like week in, week out. So I actually would support that idea, you know, weighing all these things up in my head. Jack, is that going to be another point for the fantasy booking boys? Of course. 
You know, you've, you've not, you've not, you've not chimed in with a, a two or five live booking yet, David. It's 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 upsetting. <laughs> you know, it's something that Ross takes great pride in every week. <laughs> not watched it about eight weeks, mind you, but I take great pride in it. <laughs> two or five live. Get the Brian Kendrick uh, back making uh, fish tacos next week, and just you know see what, that's if people good notice. That's see good if enough. people see if people notice it. You know, <laughs> that's what I was like. I want to know who does anyone watch it enough to notice that that was to happen. <laughs> Mansoor's been on the past two weeks, so I'm going to see a big spike in Saudi Arabia viewers for two or five live. <laughs> I love it. Mansoor, man. It's good to know that he does stuff outside the Saudi shows, I suppose. <laughs> he pops up for 205 for like six or seven weeks, once every eight months, and then just disappears again. <laughs> What's he up to? Is he, a, is he a secret agent or something like that, man? Like, Is he leading a double life at this point? Who's to say? The mysteries of Mansoor will be covered on the conspiracy theory uh, soon coming to ESSR's YouTube. <laughs> What a beautiful cheap plug. Um, <laughs> so, Jack, we had one segment we discussed there where we went into it. We enjoyed it going in. We enjoyed it coming out. You know, I, I'm really enjoying the the Sasha Bailey thing and the fact that basically everyone's involved in it at the minute. Um, something else I really enjoyed, which made me think of something you said a few weeks ago about Drew McIntyre. So Drew McIntyre comes out after his win against Dolph Ziggler, shock horror, someone beat Dolph Ziggler in a big match. Um, he says he wants a worthy opponent for SummerSlam. Dolph Ziggler comes down and goes, oh, but, but I nearly had you, but, 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 but I nearly had you. And Drew, something you said before about the WWE Champion is the WWE Champion should not be asking for people to step up. You know, he should be, when someone's good enough, they'll step up, you know, and he basically turns around to Dolph Ziggler and says, I beat you 24 hours ago. The answer is no. Bugger off. <laughs> That's exactly how it should be. Like he's, he's right. It's like he's saying, you, you lost. Like you, you, you picked a stipulation that was incredible in your favour. You still came up short and you want another shot. Like, act, like as he said, bugger off. That's, that's exactly how your WWE champion should be. When he started, he's just like, oh, I'm going to pick a fight with you. You know what? I'll put my title on the line just because just, just I want to. That's not what a champion should be. You shouldn't be... It, it should be something to look up to. You shouldn't be like allowing anyone to go for it. Um, David, I know you weren't uh, someone who attended uh, ICW shows regularly, but something that we spoke about a lot on the podcast in our ICW-specific shows, we, we were a bit annoyed with the way the ICW title had been treated. You know, Drew McIntyre won it and took it around the world. Then when other people had that, it just it didn't feel as much of a big deal. And when Lionheart won it, his his calling card was, if you're not world class, you're not getting a shot at this title. I'll defend it at every show, but you need to be world class because this title is a world title and it deserves world class talent. Drew McIntyre asking for worthy opponents uh, after feuds with Bobby Lashley and Dolph Ziggler, it kind of rings hollow, but <laughs> it might be what his title name, Rain needs. I really loved this promo. 
because you're right, Jack. It's it, and it's not what we're used to seeing because McIntyre's not a Cena champion. He's not a Reigns type champion. He is like a suit wearing champion, like representative of the company. Uh, like you were touching on there, and the way he delivered that line, like "No, nah, bugger off," to me was hilarious. He reminds me of the best parts of Kevin Nash brought up to twenty twenty. Just this big, cool guy who like really doesn't care like about like this the sort of chivalry or anything like that. He's just like, "No, nah, I'm the champion," and like you said, he has this attitude that he's better than everyone, and it contrasts with his cool, calm, collected nature to Ziggler. Ziggler's desperation in this segment and it contrasts very well because we see Ziggler and it's almost like the facade is broken because he recognises what we all know that once again Dolph Ziggler cannot get the job done and he's in denial about that complete denial about that and he, it eventually leads to his downfall in this segment where McIntyre accepts it and um, Jack we see Drew McIntyre, he sticks the nut in Dolph, he says, maybe one day you'll learn your lesson, and he walks away, and Dolph, in one last act of desperation, says, you can pick the stipulation this time, but I want a match. You can pick the stipulation. I've said in Drew McIntyre's run before, I have a fear he's going to lose it, so he can win it back in front of a crowd. And, you know, Maybe not at a pay-per-view, but on a Raw, I think it's plausible that Dolph Ziggler could get a wee upset win. Just the way they're, they're booking this at the minute. The last time they booked Dolph Ziggler in this sort of sort of feud, it was a title versus career match against The Miz in 2016. And Ziggler pulled it out the bag. You know, he won the title, he kept his career. I, I don't know, I just can't get this feeling in my head that Dolph might pluck a wee upset up just to lose the title back at SummerSlam just so Drew can get his pop? Nah. It's something that I can't, I can't see. It's, I, 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 just, I just see Drew winning next week or the week after whenever he said it was going to be and then Randy Orton, like RKO, RKO Drew after that. I feel like that's the kind of, that's the story that needs to happen. I don't I don't want to see, I mean, I, I, I do, I would like to see Dolphins WWE champion, but I don't want to see it done like this. Mm. Yeah, um, so obviously you, you mentioned Randy Orton there. I, David, I put into our draft chat when Grant says Dolph V Drew again, shite. I said, I think it's to save time to SummerSlam. Randy yeah. Orton attacks Drew. Sorry, Randy Orton attacks Drew when he retains, and then you have a three to four week build for SummerSlam. Jack touched on it there as well. Um, do you think Randy Orton's the natural choice, or do you think we could get an upset? It's it's hard to determine because I genuinely think the stipulation Drew's going to pick is Dolph's career is on the line, and I could see this as the time that we do finally say goodbye to Dolph Ziggler. You know, like, like we've seen in the last like stretch, like they're not scared of giving people who are on their way out like a good storyline to exit. Like, it's not like the days of Dean Ambrose. We've seen Heath Slater get his last moment to shine. You know, we've seen it. Kyrie Zane is reportedly leaving WWE after getting a win over the SmackDown Women's Champion this week. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this led to Ziggler's retirement. And as such, Orton then considers him a legend and attacks Ziggler after the match is done. 
And that's what sets up the McIntyre-Orton match is Orton's merciless attack on Ziggler as opposed to maybe attacking McIntyre off the bat. That would be a really good one. I do like how they can attack people who are leaving the company and it builds someone else, you know. Mm-hmm. A name they haven't really used because he's now in AEW. Matt Hardy, he was the first victim of Randy Orton. Yeah. But someone like Dolph Ziggler, who you know is probably not going to go to AEW anytime soon, they can use his name consistently. It's just people who, you know, Randy Orton took out. I took out Christian. I took out Big Show. I took out Dolph Ziggler before, you know, Edge's big return. Um, Jack, what do you think of the storyline that Dave just pitched there? Would you be less annoyed at another Ziggler McIntyre match if it had that sort of exit storyline? Yeah, if, if the exit storyline was was good enough, then I'd be I'd be happy with it. But I just I think it's more showing of that I don't like the Ziggler character as it is. Like this whole it should have been me thing. I've not enjoyed it from the start. It was kind of what I was saying last week. Then it's kind of got to the point where I'm just sick of the sight of Dolph. Like I don't really want him about. I do feel like he should have a decent world title reign. Like, I do want that, but I just I don't want it in this kind of. It should have been me crappy way to begin with. It's just that the the character grinds on me so much. Yeah, it's um, that is very much a money left on the table character, and unfortunately, as much as like I said before, like I didn't see Dolph Ziggler winning. Had he won, I would have popped like mad because I'm someone I stick with my characters to you know the death. You know what I mean? I stuck with Zack Ryder until he was right out the door. Um, but at the same no. time, it does make me agree with you guys that this is not how I want Ziggler's title run. And honestly, the best you see him would be Randy Orton fodder. Yeah, have him retire. Send Ziggler away. I'm testament to the fact retirements are not permanent. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Ziggler could come back like months down the line after he's done another fucking comedy uh, tour or whatever he's been doing outside of WWE. Um, but you know, I just feel that Ziggler does a really good job of being in the right place when you need him the most. You know, you needed a sort of transitional feud for McIntyre. You needed it for Kofi back in his title reign, but the more that he loses, the less value there is in Ziggler. And I just feel at this point, it's best to send him on his way for a bit, have Orton attack him on the way out to set that up. And then months down the line, a year down the line, whenever we see Ziggler again, it feels newer, it feels fresher, and it's a revitalisation of that character. Yeah, um, Jack, you and I spoke before about how there was a tweet, I can't remember who sent it, so if you know who sent it, you know, give them credit. Someone said about Kofi and Ziggler last year, the cage match was great. It would have been better if we could believe Dolph would actually win. Um, still looking forward to reviewing a WWE title match next week, but at the same time, we 99.9% know it's not going to be Ziggler champion when we're reviewing the show. I definitely. It's... it's it is a real shame that Ziggler's branded in that in the kind of category of if he's in a title match, you know he's going to lose because like he is he is more than that. I've said that I've said that a lot of days. Well, either Shambolic or that character's more than what they are than now. It's that is pretty poor from creative, I guess. But it's it's just one of those things. I feel that the trigger should have been pulled on Dolph long ago 
and they just failed and no wonder he kind of got into a bickering row about trying to stay on and it's what it is I, it's, as I said we're looking forward to it next week but you pretty much can bet on the outcome being Drew being your champ yeah yeah very much so um, so we move on to our main event and uh, we've been hiding it throughout the show Randy Orton versus Big Show we saw an interview with Christian he says he's not been the same since Randy Orton attacked him and he'll never be the same uh, just hyping up how those injuries happened we still haven't heard from Edge uh, we see a promo with Randy Orton saying that these these people were my best friends at one point, but I have to send them home. Their time has come. Sort of a, as we mentioned earlier, David, a sort of Thanos, where it's like half of you will die, but it's for the greater good. Yeah, <laughs> and he's the, he's the Grim Reaper of WWE, man. He's just <laughs> like anyone who's ever had a tweet about them saying they're too old, Randy Orton's like, oh, yeah, you might be right. Bam. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're predicting Ziggler next week, Jack. I mean, that's someone who people have tweeted, oh, why is he still here? Randy Orton's obviously going to see that next week. <laughs> I mean, I just, we just had to feel to the fire of what, what David was wanting of Randy Orton taking him out. So maybe, maybe, maybe that is the right way to go. Um, we see a, a feud from Big Show. He's, Big Show plays the emotional like character pretty well where he says, he talks about He's been here for Randy Orton's whole career. He knows that his career's in danger tonight, but he can't sit back and let Randy Orton continue to do what he does. Um, really good promo, really good emotion showed by Big Show. The only thing here, David, is, and you and I discussed it on the actual Big Show show, not the Netflix show, but our show on Suplex Retweet, our main channel on... Yes, yes, on, on Android, iTunes, Spotify and Anchor. Uh, we discussed how Big Show so many times is played as a sympathetic babyface, despite being seven foot two and four hundred pounds. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't quite work. And again, this time it just didn't quite work for me. Like at this point, we should be used to it because it's the way Big Show has present- been presented for years. But to me, Big Show should present more of a threat to Randy Orton. Then he ends up showing, like, just to talk about the match itself right now, again, the match was not entertaining. I cannot remember a Randy Orton Big Show match that I have found entertaining. You know what I mean? Having said that, let me say this. It did serve its purpose to the overall story. So I do think it's a sort of negative to reach an overall positive in the end. It's It's another legend that Randy Orton's taken out, and because it's another legend that Randy Orton's taken out, Big Show had to be played in that specific role, regardless of whether I think it's the role that's best suited for him or not. Um, I have to disagree with you there, David Jack. I quite uh, enjoyed this match. I, obviously, David did say it served his purpose, but I liked how both this and the Christian match were basically squash matches, whereas the pay-per-view match with the Edge, who had everything to fight for, was a bit more of a competitive affair. I think, you know, Randy Orton looking so sadistic after each and every chair shot. That Drayton DDT, I thought, looked amazing. Don't get me wrong, the back catalogue of Randy Orton big show matches, as David mentions, isn't exactly five-star classics, but I thought this one was pretty good. I, for, for what it was, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't have 
much hoping it being a, a, a very good wrestling match, but obviously the, the unsanctioned uh, stipulation that gets put, up, gets put on these adds to what the match is, you know, it allows Randy Orton to take him out and they'll be gone for a while, you know, Big Show was is doing alright to kind of keep up, obviously had Andrade and Angel Garza come in and try help Orton, but then the Viking Raiders came out to even the odds and, you know, it kinda, there was bits where it looked like the Big Show being semi-competitive in that, but obviously it did go the way that we all expected it to be and you got the, the top rope DDT thing and you got the RKO and you got the punt after the match it's, uh, for for what it was I enjoyed it yeah it's um, it's leading to something obviously we we've predicted Dolph Ziggler gets taken out next week I wouldn't be surprised if Randy Orton's your new WWE champion at SummerSlam I, I want to not only would I, would I not be surprised I think it's the way to go like Randy, we talked about it with Rollins, but it's the same vein as Orton. He's the best heel in, yeah, I'll go for the best heel in wrestling right now, Randy Orton. Like, regardless of what I thought of the match, like talking about the match itself, I'm talking about the in-ring action, but it's the overall story of Randy Orton, to me, has, has been marvellous since the loss at WrestleMania. He beats Edge in the greatest wrestling match, he injures Edge, injures Christian, injures Big Show, and like you said, this Thanos type character, this Grim Reaper type character is is so good. Like it's the little things, you know what I mean? You look back to when he was teaming with uh, Angel Garza and Andrade a couple of weeks ago and he's shouting at Angel Garza uh, at the at the sort of a plexiglass guardrail and he's just screaming at his face and he's intense and it's an invested Randy Orton right now. And when he is invested, he is the best on the planet. So capitalize on it. Give him that thirteenth title ring give him that that spotlight and put him at the top of your show because I'm telling you, a feud between Orton and McIntyre, uh, not just for a SummerSlam match, but a long-term feud between Orton and McIntyre is not only is it keeping, you know, giving him something to do till Edge comes back, but that feud in itself is money with a capital fucking dollar sign, my friend. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, Jack, someone we've We've discussed since we started the Raw Report, um, who I'm going to maybe fantasy book here. If Randy Orton is not in the WWE title match, someone who I feel could be a great either WWE title contender or a great SummerSlam opponent for Randy Orton, what about Kevin Owens? No. No, you know, for No, that's... If, the, if we weren't going down the route of Orton kind of reprising his legend killer role and taking out people and the way he sees it for the better to kind of to look after them, you know, like he he took Edge out so he could be at home with his, with his family, he took Christian out as like kind of you you shouldn't be in this ring, so I'm gonna prove to you why. He's kind of took out big shows like you're a legend, you know, you should preserve that legend status, go out while you can type thing. Owens just doesn't make sense to that. For me, I feel as if it's just a it's just a way to have a match to get Orton a, a win in a big pay per view. It it doesn't really do much more than that. I don't think the story would be very good going for it. See, I did have another possible opponent for him if it's not McIntyre. Can I tell you? Yep. I, I think I think you're going to laugh at me, perhaps. But I was thinking from the moment I saw Ric Flair back that we were going to get Randy versus Charlotte at SummerSlam. 
because I thought there's nothing else to do with Charlotte in the women's division right now. She's done everything. And what if Randy Orton turns on Ric Flair? Who better to defend Ric Flair's honour than his own daughter? But having said that, we don't know when Charlotte's going to be coming back. So I don't know if that's realistic or, or uh, at all. But it would be something different. And I think it would actually make for a really, really entertaining match. I definitely think it would be an entertaining match. Definitely would grab headlines and, you know, and invest in Randy Orton and Charlotte Flair, who I think is the best women's wrestler of all time. You know, mm-hmm. you can argue with me all you want. But these people who are showing up once a year in AEW, that they're the best wrestler in the world, but Charlotte Flair's doing it consistently on the WWE roster. And I personally think she is the best women's wrestler ever to do it. Uh, but we're fantasy booting here. Randy Orton against Drew McIntyre, if that is the match at SummerSlam, does Drew win and maybe give Randy Orton time to snap and maybe go after, maybe he takes out Ric Flair and then goes after McIntyre again? Or does Randy Orton just straight up win at SummerSlam? Like, how do you go about this? Uh, I'll start with you, Jack. Orton, Orton has to straight up win, I think. I would... If there was fans being able to attend in their full voice, I would have Drew win because he gets the kind of big ovation and you'll have that kind of Orton snap and going like more sadistic. But when you're in this kind of COVID era right now and you're not, you've not been able to capitalise properly on Drew being champion, so to speak, having Orton being able to carry the belt to the point of where they can fully pull the trigger on Drew becoming like a champion, having that big ovation and pop for him because he has a he has a good champion, but it would be just so much better with fans. I think mean, that's the way it needs to be right now. So I I'd fully send an Orton beating Drew. Uh David, your thoughts on it? I completely agree with Jack. I think for me it's more of a momentum thing because we've seen Randy Orton losing matches before. You know, and we've seen Randy Orton have peaks and drops throughout his career. This is most certainly a peak. Play off of this momentum. Keep having Randy Orton win. Keep him going on that that good that good streak, that good level. If he reaches the mountaintop again as WWE champion with beating Drew McIntyre at first attempt, it does a lot more for him and it does a lot more for the story than holding off on it, I feel. You know, because I feel that Drew would be better in the role of chasing Randy Orton again rather than having Randy Orton chasing him for another month or two after SummerSlam. That is that's very true. Um, I think I think I agree with you guys. We've got to go straight up Randy Orton. You can always have him punt kick Drew, give Drew some time off, and then have Drew come back at a later date to win his title back in front of fans, you know? Yeah, well, that's when you could do your Kevin Owens match. You know what I mean? If Drew's injured, yeah. like, have, have the many feud with Owens within that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, Hell in a Cell's up in the air at the moment. You don't know if, you know, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is happening due to the fact that pay-per-views are going on on a month-by-month basis at the moment. I'd love to see if we do get fans back anytime soon, Randy Orton against Drew McIntyre and Hell in a Cell. Have Drew make his return maybe two months later and go after Orton in the Hell in a Cell. I, thought, I think that would be amazing. I think also it would be really, really good. We've seen Randy Orton perform 
in the Hell in a Cell environment. To me, one of the last great Hell in a Cell matches we had was was him and Jeff Hardy. You know, his his vicious nature and his sort of a penchant for violence fits Hell in a Cell. And the fact he's coming up against a big bruiser like Drew also helps that. Imagine Drew McIntyre, Claymore kicking Randy Orton through one of the panels of the cell, you know, to break outside it. That's a moment in itself. You know what I mean? So I, I think Hell in a Cell, Drew and Randy, that would be a perfect way to go. Well, as always, Jack, we've sat for just about an hour fantasy booking and we've roped David in. He also fantasy book for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> It's a gift and a curse. It's a gift and a curse. We have so many thoughts coming out of Raw, which I suppose is good because, you know, since I moved into the new house and I've set, now I've got the TV set up and all that, I have been watching SmackDown because I'm off a Saturday, Sunday now. And oh my God, SmackDown is boring. I can't understand why the Ryans, other than just sheer shame at the fact that they've lost the past two matches in the best of five, don't show up. But the quality of stuff that's on display compared to what's on Raw is just, it's, it's night and day. Yeah. Aye, but, SmackDown, I, I don't know what's up with SmackDown because it's like the, obviously they've streamlined it for the, so it's all one creative team doing Raw and SmackDown. And obviously the, the when SmackDown made its move to Fox, it was going to be the premier show and it's have like your, uh, your Roman Reigns and whatnot. But they've they've resorted to doing bloody karaoke contests, and don't get me wrong, I love a karaoke contest, you know. But you don't want that in your kind of wrestling match. It's meant to be your premier show. You're completely right. See, when you've got a show on the Fox Network that features worse singing than Truff sings on YouTube, it's uh, it's it's really quite uh, something, you know. It's really quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are going to wrap it up. So thank you, listening once again to. The Raw Report here on Suplex Retweet Extra. You can follow this and the main feed Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor and all good Android podcasting sites. At Suplex Retweet is where you can find us on Twitter. At FT Films, is that correct? Ah, yes, at, at First Time Films. Uh, thank you very much, Ross. Yeah, you can find me there uh, rambling incoherently about Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Is where you can find our guest David Campbell's review shows about films, how much he hates Forrest Gump, how much he hates Tom Hanks, how much he hates Jenny, how much he hates Forrest Gump again. And, and Bubba. So and that bastard Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> that, that bastard that launched a thousand shitty <laughs> shrimp-themed restaurants. <laughs> Everyone at USSR is my friend. I am back with a new, you know, friendly personality, but not Bubba. Oh, I can fuck off. This, 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 this friendly thing. You mean calling everyone your friend, and you know what? It's nice, but it doesn't sit right. It's I feel there's something more sinister to call folk your friend. It's like, oh, well done, my good friend Grant, on winning the SSR title, Extreme Rules. There's nothing no right about that, David. It's, it's arcing me the wrong way. Me and Grant have a long story. Right about that. Grant, Grant has no friends, so that's really not right. <laughs> <laughs> I am back in the SSR to be people's friends, especially my friend. Andy Mitchell. Oh, God. Right. Anyway, uh, as David deludes himself in the corner there, like the, I don't know, the Monday Night Messiah Jr., I'd like to thank my co host, as always, Jack Graham. No, thank you. And we'll be back next week to review the WWE title match and the Raw Women's title match. We'll see you then. <laughs>